Amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're back in that again. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Um, You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well, as long as you're not looking into a fantasy draft or anything. We have been in this section of Hebrews for a while. I want to just kind of remind you again, in Hebrews chapter 11, one was the beginning of this faith journey. We asked you as a church and said, hey, we're going to continue to push on us to risk faith, to, to see where God is going to ask us to step out in faith, both individually and, and collectively as a church as well. And through this, we have, you know, chapter one or verse one talked about faith is the conviction and the, or the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. It's this idea that it's not just some kind of weird, airy thing that we don't have no idea what it is, but there's something that's like solid and, and grabbable and something we can, we can hold on to and that faith is something that the Lord has given us. So how do we then live by faith? And as we've been looking through chapter 11, we spent an extensive amount of time on Abraham. The author now kind of turns to another massive character in the Bible narrative, one that every single Jewish person that is in the setting that he was about to speak to would understand and know intimately the details of this person's life. It's Moses. They, they knew it. In fact, the life that they'd lived, the, the way that they were raised, they've been working through and playing out and living out the laws and the commands that were come through the old covenant that were kind of started and, and brought through Moses to the people of God. And so this isn't the first time that the author is talking about Moses. He's already brought up Moses very early on in the book to talk about how Jesus is greater than Moses. And again, Moses was a a heavily respected figure to every single Jewish person. And so now he comes to this by faith section. I bring that up because I think in a lot of ways, Abraham is the father of faith, and that's great. But Moses was kind of like the way that it lived out. And this is, this, is the, this is the implementer of everything that happened. So I kind of feel like if we were sitting in the room and this was being spoken to us, this book, I feel like maybe some of the, some of the people in the room might have sat forward in their seat to listen. Okay, what is he going to claim that Moses did by faith? The entire chapter has been by faith, by faith, by faith. There's a way that we can live our lives that will say by faith. By faith, Brent did what? By faith, by faith. And the challenge has been, what would the Lord say you have done by faith throughout your life? And so I feel like in this section, it turns. The other reason why I really like this is that Moses deals with, uh, we kind of cover about 80 years of his life in these, in these four or five verses here. And in these five verses, we see almost every instant of faith that God chooses to bring out of Moses is a life or death situation. It's a very difficult situation. It's a very hard situation. I think most of us can actually relate to, not necessarily Moses in the lifestyle there, but we can relate to what faith means for us in our life. And so let's dig in and we'll talk about it a little bit. Chapter 11, verse 23 is where we start. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So it was his parents' faith that, that he was hidden for, a few, for three months. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, little history, Exodus chapter 1 talks about this uh, where the, the new Pharaoh kind of steps in and realizes that the Jewish people are, are too many in number, that they're just a massive amount. And so out of fear of them overtaking the Egyptians, the Pharaoh says, every firstborn, uh, every firstborn male must be thrown in the Nile. Must be thrown in the Nile. Just just take a a brand new baby and lob them in the Nile and let them drown and die. Females can live. And so this this edict comes out out of fear. Now what's interesting, and again, this is just something to pay attention to. This is a foreshadowing. When is the other time that every firstborn male is ordered to be killed? When Jesus is born, right? So it's up to two years. 
This is a foreshadowing here. But either way, it says every firstborn is supposed to be, be killed. And then chapter 2 of Exodus kind of begins with, and Moses was born. This baby was born to this couple. And, and we find out that they say that this baby was attractive. Now, we could, there's probably a joke in there that Exodus was written by Moses. And so anyone that writes a book about themselves will talk about how attractive they are. But that's not the joke we're going to go. That's not the point of this text. Uh, this actually doesn't just mean physically attractive. It, there's, this is conjecture this is kind of thought of but there's a, there's an assumption or most believe that they saw something in this child that was different than others because as sad or as crazy it is as it is many jewish people during the pharaoh took their brand new baby boys and threw them into the nile many did this but there was something that stopped moses's parents from from doing this and so they hid him and they kept him hidden for three months now we have it seems like 30 brand new babies in this church right now so they're just everywhere they're super cute and squishy right it's awesome but, like, if you spend any time around a baby, they're not quiet, especially at 2 or 3 a.m., right, moms? They're not quiet. And so this was a scary thing. Now, what we have to see in this, which is important, because he says that the parents, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, they hid Moses. That seems like fear is present with this, and yet God is saying it's by faith. Now, how could he say it's by faith? Now, think about it this way. There are two implications to the king's edict that we, we have to be aware of. One is Kill your baby's son. That's bailed out. But the implications is if you don't, you're in danger. Your life is in danger. So if you choose to not follow the king's edict, if you choose to, to, to be caught with a baby boy, well, then you will suffer probably torture, death, and the baby's throat would still be slit. Like, that's still what would happen. And so they hid the baby and operated in this way. Now, they say, the history tells us that three months they hit him and then they put him in a little basket and his older sister followed along the way and the Pharaoh's daughter was getting ready to bathe with the team, sees his baby, sees, opens it up, sees his, his, his beauty, his attractiveness and she has mercy on him and decides that she wants to raise him. So then his sister's like, can I find you a nurse to take care of it from a Hebrew woman? And she's like, yes, go find one. So she goes and gets his mom and in God's providence, Moses' mom is the one that nurses Moses while he's being raised as the son, as the daughter of the Pharaoh's son. And so this, this is how this kind of takes place. Now, they're saying by faith because they weren't afraid. Now, what kind of parent would it be to say, okay, I'm going to step out in faith, and I, you know what? Like, I believe that God will save my son, and even though every other son is getting thrown in the Nile, I'm just going to walk around and be like, look, my baby boy, ha-ha, look at this. God will protect me. That would be foolishness. There is a wisdom to not doing that. But the reason why the author says that his parents were not afraid was because they chose to love their son at the risk of their very own lives. They chose to operate in a way that said, I'm going to save this boy's life, and now my life is on the line. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get in further. You can see it kind of come to fruition through Moses. By faith, verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Okay, so we're going to move forward here. So we see this section where it says, by faith, Moses left Egypt. He flees to Midian. Now, not out of fear. Now, that again is interesting because it seems like an incongruency in scriptures because actually we see in Exodus 2, 14, that Moses was afraid. 
and said, Surely the matter has become known. Then the very next verse says, When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. So how is it that our author today says that Moses wasn't afraid when we see in Exodus right here that Moses was afraid? So I want to talk about that for a second. First off, it's really, really important for us to see the order at which these things happen. So the span of these by faith is about 80 years. So from birth to the sprinkling of the Passover, we got about 80 years of work in there that happens. And around 40-ish years or so is Moses ends up confronting an Egyptian soldier that's mistreating a Jewish slave. And in that confrontation, the, the Egyptian soldier is killed. And so in that time, he comes back the next day or the next few days, and, and he sees two Jewish slaves arguing and fighting. And he steps in to try and say, why are you guys, like, why are you fighting? Why are you doing this? And they go, what, are you, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? So it's in that moment, he's like, uh-oh, this is, that's what he's talking about. This thing has become known. What will happen? Now, it, it seems weird to say this, but think about it this way. Moses doesn't leave by fear. He leaves by faith because that's what our author tells us here. Now, in this situation, it's really, really important for us to understand what happened just before that. And this is what I think all of us can relate to. This is where all of us can relate to. See, stepping out in faith, doing something in faith is risky. It's scary. It's difficult. And I think where most of us wrestle is when we operate in faith with our stewardship of finances or our time or our talents or relationally. When we make these steps, when we feel like the Lord is commanding us to do, when we confront someone because God is saying we need to confront them in love, or when we, when we take those obedient steps, it's still risky. It's still scary. It's still, there's still a struggle. What happens to most of us is most of us allow that fear to weigh in heavier than our faith. Most of us allow our fear of what may, may or not, may not happen weigh heavier than faith in what God has promised would happen. And so the reason why I say that Moses had this figured out is because it's really important to understand the order in which these things came about. So it tells us in verse 27 that he, he left Egypt, but in 24, it already tells us something profoundly huge that I think you and I can miss if we're not careful. First off, in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This happens prior to the Egyptian being killed. And I know we've watched, maybe if you watch the Disney movies or some of those things, you've, you've kind of melded those lines. But this choice that Moses makes happens prior to a life or death situation for him. He chooses to disconnect himself from the Pharaoh's daughter, to, to disconnect himself from the fleeting pleasures of this world, and he chooses to be mistreated with the slaves of God's people. He chooses the reproach of Christ. He chooses to identify himself in a way that the world will be against him. And see, this is what I think most of us struggle and why we can relate to Moses, is most of us choose the fleeting pleasures of this world before Christ in our lives. Most of us choose that. And look, look, I don't mean that to be harsh, but most of us, when it comes to a situation, we go, okay, if I make this step that I feel like the Lord's leading or that his scripture's very clear, tells me I'm supposed to do, but if I make this and I do this, if he doesn't show up, I don't know, like I'll, I'll look weird, I'll look crazy, people might make fun of me. It doesn't make sense financially, it doesn't make sense vocationally, it doesn't even make sense for my, my career path. This seems ludicrous in regards to what the world says. And a lot of us shrink back from that 
and then we go to the pleasures of this world. Most of us do that every day in our finances. Most of us do that every single day with our futures. We put more hope in what we can do for our future as opposed to what Lord has promised in our future. We spend more time building up treasures for ourselves on earth as opposed to treasures in heaven as a reward. This is the choice that Moses makes. This is why the author can say it's not fear. Yes, yes, there was probably some scared feelings in there. Don't misconstrue stepping out in faith as just, well, this is the easiest thing ever. Do you think that Moses' parents had a hard time sleeping those first three months? I guarantee it. It wasn't just because the baby kept waking up. They were looking over their shoulders. But it was faith that caused them to ignore or risk the potential loss of life as opposed to saving their life and killing Moses. It was love. The love of Moses gave them the opportunity to operate in faith. But you and I, rarely a life or death situation. Rarely. But most of us want to say something like, you know, if, 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 if the Lord asked me tomorrow that I would, you know, go to, to Syria and preach Christ unashamedly, then I would do it and I would do it in that place. But a lot of people don't realize that God is asking you to live for him today where you're at. And a lot of you aren't making the choice for a lot smaller things. You're saying, you know what, I understand, God, that you say store up for myself treasures in heaven, but you have a massive storehouse for yourself here on earth. And you find peace in that. There's wisdom. I'm saying there's not. But you find your value and your peace and your security in what you have and what you can control. And Moses is saying, I choose to walk away from, he had everything. Like, think about it. None of us even come close or ever will come close to the wealth that Moses had. He could have said it and it could have been done for him instantly. And instead of that, he chose to identify himself with God's people who at that time were slaves, which meant he'd be mistreated as a slave and he would experience the reproach of Christ, the disapproval of Christ. This is what Moses did by faith. Now us, this is where we wrestle. Are we going to make that choice daily? Are we going to live our lives where we choose to move into a situation that may mean it's difficult. And the reason, let me just pause. As a pastor, I get to meet with a lot of people. I get to talk to a lot of people. One of the things I hear more often than not from people that are either frustrated in the church, mad at Jesus, or angry with God, or just complacent with God in general, you know what they say? I did all of these things, and God never did this. If I do these things, shouldn't he do this? I did all these good things. Look, I I gave, I served, I did this. Why is this stuff still happening to me? As if anywhere in scripture he says, hey, do all these things and your life on earth will be so easy and perfect. Everything will go your way. You want to get married? Voila, I'll bring a spouse to you right away. You want to get a job? Don't worry, there's gonna be six great jobs that you're just gonna have to pick one from. They're all amazing. Because you, oh, because you know what? You you confess that sin, you're right. I'm, I'm in debt to you now, I owe you something. So let me, let me give you something else now because I owe you this. Nowhere in Scripture does it promise that. He says, remain in me, abide in me, obey my commands, and your joy will be full. He doesn't say that your joy is a new boat and a new house and, and a wife and 2.3 kids and a white picket fence. That's not what he's saying. We misconstrue that and assume that our values, what we desire is what he's going to give of us as good. And he's like, no, I'm about making you more like Jesus. And that's going to hurt at times. And that's going to be difficult. And so where the rubber meets the road for you and I in faith is when we choose to go a direction that means we'll be mistreated. And that means that you may be mistreated by your bosses. That means some of you college students, you'll be mistreated by your guidance counselors because like, why would you ever do that? That's an illogical move for your career. That means that you, some of you will be mistreated by your family members. 
Because when you submit yourself to the Lord, you realize something that Moses, of all the mistakes he made, had figured out really early when it mattered, which was that it's better to be aligned with God than this world any day of the week. It's better to give myself to God no matter what that may mean. It doesn't matter how hard my life can be. My wife and I were talking about this on our date and saying, like, we, we choose to believe as difficult as life has been at times. And don't, this isn't a woe is us. We, we are choosing. It's, it's an effort. It's a choice to believe that the rewards in heaven are there. I'm, pr- I'm trusting. I'm trusting his promises that they're there. The Apostle Paul shows us that he wrestles with this very same thing. Because, see, when f- faith will surrender to the reproach of Christ, Faith will give itself to the disapproval of Christ. It's not gonna, there's no faith that really is apart from Christ. It'll give it to that rather than the treasures of the world, no matter how hard it gets. Philippians 3, 7 through 11 says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, whatever I've been given in my life, whatever accolades, whatever degree programs, whatever amazing things I've accomplished, the the family, the kids, the job, whatever I have gained, I count it as a loss. What? I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Now, why would you do that? Why does it seem like, it seems like the Apostle Paul's talking about there's this transaction here. And yet the same author said, it's by faith alone. It's by faith alone you're justified before God. So what what is happening here? So he goes on. He says, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Now how many of us can actually say that that's true of us on a daily basis? How many of us can say that this is how I live? I think most of us read it this way. Whatever gain I had, I counted it most of the time for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count most things as a loss because of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we forget that he's like, it's the surpassing worth. That means, guys, it's beyond worth. There's nothing more valuable in your life. You will not achieve, grab, taste, or experience anything more valuable than knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And that should be an overflow of our heart. So that when we start comparing anything we have in this world, any accolades, being the fleeting pleasures of sinfulness, of, the, of being an Egyptian and having all our rights, or the, the desire of the world, or being liked by people. If we could look at all of those things and realize that they don't even come close, they don't even belong on the same piece of paper as the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. See, and we've forgotten that. You, you've forgotten that. And, and how it's displayed that you forget that, it's when you have that choice to step in faithful obedience to the Lord and submit yourself no matter how difficult it's going to be, no matter how much crow you have to eat for everything you've said for the last decade, you make the choice to say that whatever you're holding on to is of greater value than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, just in case we didn't understand it. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, as dung, as poop. That's what he's saying. For his sake, for Christ's sake, every, I have lost everything. How many of you have lost everything for Christ's sake? How many of you lost something for Christ's sake? How often do you have the thought, like, man, if I didn't follow the Lord, I could do some other things in my life that would be a little bit more fun. There's a heart condition in there. Apostle Paul's saying, look, I have lost it all, and I count it as rubbish. I don't care what I have to lose. 
It's still not close to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Lost everything. He goes on. He says, it's all rubbish. In order that I what? May gain Christ and be found in him. Look, see this transaction that happens? It's not, it's not, let me be really clear. The Apostle Paul's not here saying, like, you have to get rid of all these things so that you can come to know the Lord. It's that knowing the Lord, you count all these things as a loss. There's an old self, new self battle that happens here. There's a dying to self that happens when you see this, when you realize the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Wait, hang on. Me, Bren, sinful Bren is deemed righteous before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything else is worthless. And that's the posture we see there. Because to, be, to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This doesn't lay out a pretty fluffy bunny unicorn picture of following Christ. He's saying, look, I get, to, I get to die. I get to die to myself. I get to push myself in this way where I'm going to share in his sufferings. Just in case you're wondering, Christ suffered a lot, more than any of us have ever experienced. And we get to share in his sufferings so that we can share in his death and resurrection. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. This is what it means to live by faith. Now Moses made this decision before it was life or death for him. His parents made the decision in that moment. But Moses, he decides to say, I'm going to throw off all the riches, all my rights that I have as an Egyptian son, even though I'm a a Jewish boy. I'm going to throw all that off and align myself to this. Why? He says, because he was looking to the reward. That's the other part that we miss in this. Not only do we miss choosing faith in those situations, we forget that that Moses didn't just muster up strength in that moment. He was looking to the reward. He was looking to the future. He was looking to the promised land that he actually never gets to enter in. He just gets to look over it and see it. And the Lord shows him it, but he never walks in. He was looking to the reward that was promised to him in God. And you and I, we lose sight time and time again in this. This is why by faith is so perplexing and awesome in this situation. is because no matter what, what we see here is incredible. We see that by faith, it's still difficult. So often we want to pray, okay, Lord, I'll do this. Give me this. But if it's just a little difficult, we, we opt to close the door and we move the other direction. As if it's just the easiest thing ever. He's saying, no, this will be difficult. I think this is why the Apostle Paul in Colossians tells us to pray for spiritual wisdom. Because, because I think faith, most of us, as we pray, as we start asking the Lord like, specifically for things, he's gonna answer us. He's faithful to answer us. And, and I think in a lot of ways, he's not gonna answer us in some, I mean, sometimes he will, but he rarely is he gonna answer us by a burning bush or a vision or a dream. It's gonna be through a lot of saturation in God's word, a lot of prayer and a lot of community that you're gonna step out in faith and still have a little bit of shaking in your boots. There's still gonna be a little bit of fear in this. Oh man, I, I don't know, this, this is hard. Can we, can we risk this much financially? It's, it's gonna be difficult. 
We feel like this is the Lord. The Lord's asking us, I don't know, this is, good. This is hard. This is going to be really difficult to, to change careers. Can we really do this? To, to move locations, to give ourselves to this. This seems risky. And in every situation, what happens is we get to choose Christ and faithfulness or allow fear to take over. I think fear and wrestling will always be there. Don't misconstrue your fear of the unknown as being faithlessness. Just don't let fear of the unknown overshadow your faithfulness. Don't let that fear of what may or may not happen, the what-ifs get in the way of the faith that comes in God and knowing Him and His promises. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Man, if you guys aren't getting tired of hearing this, but the entire book of Hebrews keeps pointing, it's not about this little vapor of a life you live. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. The very last thing in this section that, that he does by faith, Moses by faith, sprinkles the, lamb, the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of everyone. He tells all the people to do this. Now, that seems a little weird. Well, in this situation, back in the history, there was a, there was a plague going on, a bunch of battles going on between Moses and Pharaoh about letting the Israelites go so that they could go worship God in their own land and not be slaves anymore. And so there's this big, long battle of Pharaoh's hearts being hardened and, and, okay, yes, you guys can go. Just kidding, you can't go. And all these plagues, get rid of these plagues. And, and the very last plague that comes is that God says, I'm going to send the destroyer. I'm going to send the destroyer to kill the firstborn of everything in this land. Firstborn animal, firstborn babies, every single one of them is going to die. Moses for your Jewish people, if you want them to live, if you want their firstborns to live, smear, take a, take a lamb, kill it without breaking its bones, spill its blood, and then put the blood on the doorposts and the, and the overhead frame of every single Hebrew home, and I will pass over that. It's where the Passover meal came in. It's the, it's the very meal that Jesus is, is instituting during the Last Supper. It's what's going on when he renews it and changes it for the new covenant. This Passover, Moses by faith does this. By faith, he tells all of his people, look, this is what's gonna happen. This is what's gonna happen. Do this and do it in haste. In fact, after that, we see that the Passover was like done and celebrated every single year. They were told that like they had to have a cloak on and that their sandals on in the idea of eating the meal in haste, going quickly that they're gonna have to exit. And Moses does many other things by faith, but this is kind of the ending of what he does here that we see in this big section. And this is an incredible, incredibly beautiful picture of Christ and what he's gonna do for us. See, for most of these people, now the, the Jews at this point had Christ because they were just after it. But everyone prior to Jesus coming in, prior to the New Testament, had looked forward to what God would do for his people in the promises. Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, all of them. They just all looked forward. And in every situation, the, when, when the whole law was instituted, it was with the Messiah coming to redeem his people. And then the prophets are speaking out of it, and they're still looking forward, and they're celebrating the Passover every single year, saying, look what our Father has done to make us a people. And every year, for year after year after year, even in the 400 years of silence from the last prophet before the New Testament comes in place, those 400 years, every single year, look what our Father did, look what our Father did, look what God did through our fathers, to show us that we're a people. And then it changes when Christ comes in scene. And we no longer have to look all the way back to Moses and claim that Passover. We now have, like 1 Corinthians 5 says, a Passover lamb in Jesus Christ. And so Moses, by faith, does this step of obedience, which he has no idea at that moment, that is a massive foreshowing who Christ is to us. And through Jesus Christ's blood, 
the destroyer passes over everyone who surrenders to him as Lord and Savior. And so we're going to take communion here in a second. And communion is, is a beautiful opportunity for us to not only declare what Jesus has done for us, but it's also a really, really powerful and beautiful opportunity to proclaim what he promises to do in and through us for the future. We still are commanded and led by God to look forward to him. We can't get fixated on this earth. We can't get fixated on our eyes here. We can't look at this world and try and find our pleasure in that. Yes, there's grace in it. There's enjoyment. We can enjoy a steak. We can enjoy family. We can enjoy those things. That's a beautiful grace of God, but we cannot allow that to take place of choosing faith that may bring about difficulties, sacrifice, and life. And so when we take communion, we get an opportunity to to proclaim what Jesus has done for us. So real quickly, this is, this is for those that have submitted their life to Jesus Christ. This is what the Passover was. This is the idea, is that, is that you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, meaning you confess that he is truly your Lord. He is the Messiah. He has saved you. Salvation comes through him and him alone. And so when you do this, you recognize that when you take the bread, it symbolizes his body. His body being broken and, and whipped and torn. And when he's on the cross, he has to extend his feet to get a breath in his lungs just to come back down and getting his back shredded by the wood on the, on the, of the cross. Like you, you proclaim when you take this, this bread that my sins caused that. My sinfulness. My sins caused that. My sins. And in doing so, you also proclaim that the blood that Jesus spilled is for you. You recognize that because of your sinfulness, because of what you did to deserve the wrath of God, the destroying of God, God has in his grace and love and amazing, amazing, amazing grandness and bigness given us a way in which we can stand in righteousness before him through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is what the juice symbolizes. So when you drink of the juice, you say, not only am I the reason he died, but I'm the reason I'm drinking, I'm the reason I get to drink this too. He did this for me so that I could be dead and resurrected with him in new life. So I could share in his sufferings even to death so that I could rise new, like Romans 6 tells us. So when we take communion, we do it in a way that, that proclaims his goodness of what he's done for us in the past and it proclaims his goodness of what he's going to do for us in the future. And so if you want to step in faith like Moses, that means putting yourself in a situation that may at some point mean life or death. But that decision has to be made way earlier on in life like it was with him. He shed everything that he had so that he could be following the Lord. And so in a second, the band's going to come up. We're going to worship, but we're going to, the communion's at the back table. You're welcome to go grab it at any time. I would encourage you to take it with uh, your families or your gospel communities or people around you or just take it individually whenever the Lord has led you to do so. I also want to just say this. There's a lot of times that when it comes to some of the, the wonderful traditions that the church has that we can do kind of going through the motions. And last week we talked about not just singing and going through the motions. I think a lot of us can, can unfortunately take communion going through the motions. And the Apostle Paul talks specifically about this in Corinthians, but, but there's a way in which we can do this with honor, and that is not going to this table, not going to this table with blatant sinfulness in your heart without confessing it. 
And some of you, you have proclaimed that the Lord is, is God. You've given your life to Jesus Christ, but you continually give yourself to the sinfulness of something, whether it's lust or greed or selfishness or pride, and you're not confessing it because you're like, it's not that big a deal. But when you go there and drink of this blood, his blood was spilled for that not big a deal sin you're talking about. He took every last drop of God's wrath for you to be deemed righteous for every little sin that you do. Now confess it. And not just confess, but, but repent. And some of you, that may mean you need to confess to someone. Someone is just maybe confessing to the Lord. But I would encourage you to do so. And some of you here, you're like, man, I just, I haven't given myself to the Lord yet. I don't know whether this is real or not. Like, I'm, I'm super, super, super excited here, not because I just want more friends or more people here, but because I believe the Lord is in pursuit of you if you're here. It's not an accident. You didn't just happen to step in here today. The Lord is, is after you. And for some of you, he's after you that think you're already with him, but you know in your heart you're not. You, you have proclaimed him, but you've never lived for him. You've never died to yourself. You've never really truly acted or lived in faithfulness. You're just basing it off of some idea, something you said a long time ago when it was not true at all of your heart. And so if that's you, I would, I would encourage you to submit your life to Jesus. Give yourself entirely to him, knowing that, let me promise you this, knowing that suffering's coming. And knowing that, that God is going to push you into stepping out in faithful obedience and it's gonna be scary. And it's gonna be hard. And it's going to be difficult, but you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to fret about it. That fear will never overcome the faith that you have because the Lord has given you this faith. And you can operate with faithfulness. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray as we step into this next um, opportunity to worship you through communion or singing, God, I pray that we would do so with an obedient heart. Father, I think of, of the many ways in my life where I don't choose faithfulness, I choose faithlessness. Where I don't choose the, the righteousness of Christ, I choose the fleeting passions and desires of this world. God, your, your word tells us that those desires are going away. They're, they're gone, and the only thing that will remain is you in Christ. And so, God, I pray that we would remain with you. I pray that we would abide, that we would be obedient to you. Father, as we step to take communion, I pray that there would be much confession and a confession that comes forward, not in a shameful way, but a confession that comes forward to a God that stands there and says, I never, ever left you because I promise never to leave you nor forsake you. A, a, a confession that brings out a realization that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but a freedom that comes from that. God. And I pray that it wouldn't just be confession, but it would be repentance, a true walking away from that sinfulness, a true living a life into the word of God through the spirit of God so that we can be obedient to what God commands of us in Jesus Christ. God, I praise you for the ability to do this. I pray that as we, as we proclaim both your, what you've done for us in the past, God, I pray that we would never forget to proclaim what you're doing in and through us and your promises. God, may we lose, never lose sight of the fact that you are truly preparing a feast, that you're not partaking in this ritual or this tradition. You're not doing this communion thing until we're with you into heaven together. You're waiting for your family to be there together. You're, you're, you're anxiously, excitedly anticipating each of us, your brothers and sisters, joining you and partaking of this supper together. And so, God, it's, it, we ask that you would give us the desire to anticipate and be excited and celebrating the fact that that's coming, so much so that the fleeting passions of this world go away and we, you help us to live in this world as a part of your kingdom for your kingdom purposes. 
and that's it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.